Ryan, welcome to the latest in our series of sustainability podcasts exploring a range of themes uh, on the ESG horizon. The discussion today is going to focus on carbon leakage and carbon border adjustment mechanisms, very much part of the plethora of policy initiatives that we are seeing in the uh, carbon space. I'm delighted to be joined by two members of our global environment and climate groups. Uh, first of all, introducing Arthur Sauze, partner in our Paris office, and Ing Pung Chin, who is a senior PSL in our team in London. And I'm Matt Townsend, partner and co-head of ANO's International Environment, Climate and Regulatory Law Group. So welcome, and I'm going to kick off with a question for Artur. Artur, help us set the scene a little bit, if you if you can. I mean, there's been a lot of debate around, you know, what's the policy purpose behind the EU's carbon border adjustment mechanism, which uh, is very much in in the headlights at the moment. Is, is this just being driven by concerns over carbon leakage or are there other slightly broader trade-related policy drivers here? Thanks, Matt. Well, it's a little bit of the of the two, I would say. So first of all, carbon leakage is a legitimate concern. What it is, basically, is the fear that as some regions in the world have more ambitious climate policies, well, their industries uh, might be tempted to or forced, actually, to relocate to less ambitious regions. Therefore, basically, first of all, having a detrimental effect on the ambitious region, and also, at the end of the day, potentially threatening the global efforts to achieve emissions reductions. Now, it's not a new concern. Actually, it's been you know, a, a live debate for the last 20 years, at, at the very least, because under the existing system of the emission trading scheme in the EU, this carbon leakage risk has always been taken into account. And it's been implemented via a policy called the free allowances system. Basically, these industries which are subject to this carbon leakage risk, let's say steel, for example, they get free allowances under the EU ETS. So this is not new. But, and that's uh, maybe leading to the discussion today, under the EU Green Deal that's been going on for about uh, almost five years now, with even increased ambitions from the EU, again, this carbon leakage risk is on the table. And this is why the debate on implementing a new tool has been going on for, for about three or four years and with some results, which we'll discuss today. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, around the timing of this, because I know CBAM has got its critics and questions have been raised whether this is really just about carbon leakage or a slightly more kind of protectionist approach being taken by, by Europe. And you mentioned it's very much part of the EU's Green Deal, which is a massively ambitious program of reforms, as we know. I mean, I guess the question is kind of why now? Is it simply just it's part of the, the package of measures set out in Green Deal and Fit 55 program, or is it being brought to the fore for other reasons at this point? It's probably a little bit of both. On the first point, CBAM was seen as necessary also to provide some degree of comfort to industries which are exposed to carbon leakage risk. So it's part of the global political deal I would say. But as you rightly mentioned, it's not just about carbon leakage. And certainly, as we see increased industrial ambitions across the world with new subsidy schemes, uh, not only actually in China, but also in, in the US, of course, with the Inflation Reduction Act, then certainly it's also a way for the EU to react to that and to 
basically say that it will have a more assertive trade policy moving forward. Understood. Okay. Well, we're going to have a quick trot around the rest of the world with Ing Pung later in the discussion. So I want to come back to that. But but let's hone in a little bit more then on the on the principles and the details of the EU's CBAM regime. I mean, let's start Arthur if we can, just explaining some of the basic principles of the mechanism for the uninitiated. Yeah, at its core, the CBAM is is not that complicated. Of course, then in the detail, it's a little bit more so. But if we take a quick step back, several schemes were actually contemplated to achieve the results. And for many reasons, including potential risks of compliance with the WTO rules, the scheme is basically as follows. So first of all, if you're an importer located in the EU, in scope of the CBAN, you're going to need to measure and to declare the emissions which are linked to the products you're importing. That's the first thing. Then, based on these declarations, you have to purchase certificates. Basically, a certificate is for one ton of CO2. And the price of that certificate is linked to the EU ETS. So that's the basics of the CBAM as Europe is implementing it. Got it. Okay. So uh, actually, yeah, in headline terms, it is um, perhaps deceptively simple, actually. And we'll, we'll get into this detail in a minute. I think we're getting quite a lot of questions from clients about the scope. And you touch on some of the commodities and sectors that are being swept into it, initially at least. I mean, are we right to assume that this is very much the kind of start and over time we are going to anticipate other sectors being brought in as the scheme widens? That that seems to me pretty inevitable. Absolutely. Well, you, you rightly point out that the first question we get from client is, am I actually covered in, in terms of uh, of the products? So let's uh, let's just put up the list on the table for a second. So we've got iron and steel, we've got cement, we've got certain fertilizers, aluminium, hydrogen, electricity. Key reason for these sectors to be included is that they are seen as being particularly subject to uh, the risk of carbon leakage we were mentioning earlier. Now, when the clients come to us and ask this question, you realize that it can be a bit tricky because beyond the headline terms that I mentioned, basically when you look at the regulation, there is a list of combined nomenclature products. So that's a customs uh, related information. And it can be tricky. For example, fertilizers, it's not all fertilizers, it's mostly ammonia-based fertilizers. So really have to look in detail whether or not you're covered in terms of products. As you rightly mentioned over time, the goal is to expand the list of products which are subject to the CBAN. Two types of products are already targeted. It's organic chemicals and polymers. That should probably happen in the next few years. But let's remember that the end goal of the CBAN is basically to have the same scope as the EU ETS to ensure that level playing field that Europe is looking for. So for clients, certainly, even if you're not covered now, you should probably look into it and be ready once that's the case uh, in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I know, you know, a number of clients are talking to us already about exactly that and, and getting ready for what could come over the next few years for, for those other sectors. So if I'm sitting there, Artur, as, a, as an exporter into Europe, either, you know, within the sectors directly caught today or anticipating future sectors, what should I be thinking about? What should I be doing to kind of get ready and, and how does that fit with the phasing of the scheme? Well, I think you need to, as a company exporting to the EU, to think about how you're going to get organized, first of all, to understand how to measure the emissions, register 
and declare yourself to the EU authorities. Not necessarily directly, actually, because again, the obligations sit on the importer. So the person who gets in, in the EU importing the products into the EU. But as an exporter, so a company established outside the EU, you need to have this in mind, of course. So two phases. Given that it's complicated, the EU has a first period that goes from October 1st this year until the end of 2025. And the goal during this period is basically for the importer to register, to start measuring, and then to report the emissions. That doesn't look much like this because you don't need to pay at first. That's for the second phase. But actually, that's going to require quite a lot of efforts. And, uh, and not in three years' time, but actually from this year already. Then there's the second phase. That's from uh, January 1st, 2026 onwards. And then that's not just about reporting because from that point on, you'll need to actually purchase the certificates which will be delivered by the or auctioned by the authorities and you need to surrender them to the authorities. So that's that gets much more, I would say, financially impacting from that point on. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, so just one thing to think about there contractually, if I'm exporting products that technically for under the rules of the mechanism and this obviously takes you directly into the EU's customs regime, you know, I'd be thinking about the kind of provisions I would put in my contract with the importer who bears the economic risk of this and the kind of administrative burden. So that needs to be thought through. Just on your second point, so let me ask you, I mean, how can importers pay a carbon price then uh, on the imported goods? Well, you need to purchase the certificates. They'll be sold by the uh, by the member states. We don't already know the exact rules. That's that's the common feature of the CBAM is that a lot of the rules are, are being delegated to the EU Commission to to be designed in the next few few months, and uh, so you'll have to look into this. But basically, the price of the CBAM certificate will be linked to the weekly carbon price under the EU ETS, which is the whole part of the CBAM, obviously. That means that it's difficult to, of course, anticipate today what that price will be, because as we've seen over the recent, let's say, two or three years, the price of the EU ETS has been going up significantly. One point to note as well is that as CBAM comes live, then the free allowances that I referred to earlier for sectors under the EU ETS will be progressively phased out. That transition also, which is a bit complex, needs to be monitored closely. So importers will not need to acquire CBAM certificates to the extent uh, that products have been subject to carbon pricing elsewhere. How's that designed to work? Yeah, let, let's remember first that, uh, at least for its designers, the goal is to make sure that there is a level playing field. So in practice, what that means is that if you're importer from a region which already has some form of CBAM, some form of carbon price, you'll be able to claim a reduction in terms of the number of CBAM certificates you need to surrender. The problem is the actual rules for doing that, of course, are not very clear in the regulation right now, and we'll need to see what the Commission comes up with, and that will be very important for uh, the actual implementation. Yeah, that is indeed going to be a critical area. I think it's just worth noting as well on WTO, I mean, there was a lot of noise around that when CBAM was initially unveiled as it were in some detail, but uh, but that's not really gone anywhere. And I, and I think it's fair to say we're not expecting it to any form of WTA process to derail CBAM at this point, I think it's fair to say. Okay, uh, Arthur, thanks very much for that. Let me, let me turn to Ingpeng. So uh, having heard all of that and bearing in mind Ingpeng, the start of the transitional phase from the 1st of October 2023, what are some of the kind of key issues and actions that businesses should now be thinking about? Thanks, Matt. 
So apart from the question of scope, which Arthur has discussed earlier, there are a few other issues that businesses should bear in mind as top-of-mind issues. So firstly, businesses need to obtain a clear view of the carbon prices that are payable elsewhere for the embedded emissions in their products. Because this information will be crucial for reducing the number of CBAM certificates that they need to surrender after the transitional phase. In the meantime, the Commission is planning to adopt implementing acts to clarify how the yearly average carbon price paid elsewhere should be converted into a corresponding reduction of the number of CBAM certificates to be surrendered. And relatedly, the Commission also intends to explore the possibility of concluding bilateral agreements with third countries to take into account foreign carbon pricing mechanisms. And the intention for that is that eventually, producers who pay a carbon tax in their home jurisdiction equivalent to the EU standards would be exempt from paying the CBAM cost. Currently, we know that the CBAM does not apply to goods originating in Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, Switzerland, and certain other territories. So businesses should watch this space closely for changes to this list of territories or countries. The second issue that businesses should bear in mind is that they need to be wary of inadvertently circumventing the CBAM regulation when they adapt their operations in light of the CBAM regulation. The Commission has pledged to continuously monitor for practices of circumvention, such as where producers slightly modify their goods without altering their essential characteristics or artificially splitting shipments in order to avoid CBAM obligations. Apart from market surveillance, the Commission intends to rely on notifications from interested third parties such as NGOs and environmental organisations. Aside from the above, it is obvious that businesses need to gather and prepare the information that's required to submit their first CBAM reports by the 31st of January 2024. Importantly, businesses should look out for the Commission's implementing regulation, which is currently being developed on what is needed to comply with the reporting obligations during the transitional phase. There is significant international interest on this particular implementing regulation, Businesses will be keen for this regulation to be finalised and enter into force as a matter of urgency so that they can have greater legal certainty as to how they can comply with the CBAM's detailed reporting requirements. It's also worth keeping an eye out for how the EU will respond to calls for it to provide digital tools, technical assistance, training, capacity building and potentially financial support to help foreign producers comply with the CBAM. Okay, thanks, Impung. Very interesting. Okay, let, let's widen it out a little bit then, because as I touched on right at the beginning of the discussion, we are seeing a plethora of different policy measures being adopted to tackle the issue of carbon pricing, carbon leakage, and so forth globally. It's very much a patchwork picture that is emerging. So, Impung, can, can I ask, I mean, are we seeing other jurisdictions? deliberately adopting carbon pricing mechanisms kind of head-on to deal with the CBAM? Or what's the kind of picture there if we look more globally? Yes, we are. So in light of the EU CBAM, we expect that more countries may be inclined to introduce carbon pricing mechanisms or to adjust their carbon prices upwards. There are several jurisdictions like Turkey and Uruguay who have cited the EU CBAM as a driver for their efforts to adopt a direct carbon price. 
According to the World Bank, the uptake of ETSs and carbon taxes is on the rise in emerging economies. Countries including Chile, Malaysia, Vietnam and Thailand are continuing to work towards implementing direct carbon pricing and in recent times, Australia, Indonesia and Japan have also introduced new carbon pricing mechanisms. Okay, what about the UK? Where does the UK kind of fit in all of this in terms of what's uh, what's being proposed? In the UK, there are plans to potentially introduce a CBAM. The CBAM that the UK is looking into is to impose a carbon price on in-scope products imported into the UK to ensure that foreign producers in less stringently regulated jurisdictions are subject to a comparable carbon price. A consultation on the proposed UK CBAM and other potential carbon leakage policy measures has recently closed and feedback is being analysed. The government intends to consult by the end of this year as well on changes to the UK ETS free allocation methodology to better target sectors that are most at risk of carbon leakage. Subject to the outcomes of those consultations, the government may introduce mandatory reporting of embodied emissions in certain sectors in 2025, followed by an implementation of a UK CBAM in 2026 alongside changes to the free allocation methodology. This timing for introducing a potential UK CBAM right after the transitional phase of the EU CBAM should avoid a situation where higher carbon products are diverted from the EU to the UK. Another jurisdiction that has been considering adopting a CBAM is Canada. The Canadian government has consulted on border carbon adjustments, but key questions around its design are still very much under consideration. CBAMs could be crucial if carbon prices under the ETSs are to be high enough to incentivize sufficient emissions reductions. So for this reason, at least, we may see more countries contemplate using CBAMs to supplement their ETSs and free allocations. Okay, interesting. Um, so very much the kind of picture of proliferation, as I touched on. I know it's a topic for another day, I think, but this question about interoperability is very much in the forefront of clients' minds. I mean, this has been a debate we've had for many years in the carbon pricing and emissions trading context, but clearly as we see a growing number of measures, whether it's carbon border adjustment mechanisms, direct carbon taxes or levies and so forth, that question is not going to go away. And I think that's in reality going to be a big challenge to iron out some of the, the issues, I think, between jurisdictions on how some of these schemes may work and their indirect effects, but a debate for another day. Super quickly, just to wrap up, Arthur, can I come back to you? So just in headline terms, anything else we should be expecting from the EU on on carbon pricing in particular? Well, very briefly, Matt, of course, the key instrument is the ETS, um, a big reform under the EU Green Deal. Prices going up, as I mentioned earlier, probably some willingness of the EU moving forward to make sure that uh, the price goes up, but not so much that it creates problems. So really for people involved in the EU ETS, keeping a, a close eye on what's going on, I think is key. And apart from that, you've got the willingness under the land use, the land use change in forest regulation. You've got also the question of, of the certification of carbon offsets, which at the end of the day is also about the pricing of carbon. So a lot of things to look for. And it's, of course, we've got the elections coming up next year. So a lot more fun in the future. Indeed. Well, it's going to be a fascinating couple of years, I think, as we continue to see, particularly from Europe, the Green Deal and Fit55 program being rolled out. And as we talked about, the plethora of policy measures globally to tackle carbon and carbon 
pricing. So, so very much a kind of moving picture for our clients as they navigate investments around the world. So thank you very much both for sharing your thoughts. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. Hope you found that interesting. Please do look on our Sustainability Hub website, which has more details on CBAM and a whole host of other sustainability topics. But thanks very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.